welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio, broadcasting on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm, uh, I'm Bob Harper. I'm Danny Slater. And today's program is produced by producer Hank. Uh, listeners are invited to call the program at 412-268-9728, as usual, or to join the Left Out chat room on AIM uh, if you have an AOL Access to AOL in instant messaging. Uh, just join the chat room left out, capital L, uh, uh, spelled, uh, spelled out, capital L, capital O. Uh, and we'll monitor the chat room during the show and be uh, happy to uh, entertain questions either through that or through a telephone call. So we have a couple of announcements today. Um, the, um, there are a couple of protests that are coming up that our listeners might want to know about. There's a... Um, Let's see. What is there? The events. Uh, uh, oh gosh. There's one. I, yeah, the one I wanted to talk about was uh, the one at St. Vincent's College. Uh, you know about that, Bob? Uh, no, I've, yeah. I know about the upcoming visit by the uh, by the decider. Uh, I don't know about the. I don't know about the anything else. Why don't you fill us in? Yeah. So there's this. Uh, so, so George Bush is going to be coming. He's going to be the commencement speaker at uh, St. Vincent's. Um, Academy, which is or not Academy. It's a. I'm not sure what it is. It's a monastery or a college, Catholic college, um, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. It's not too far from here, um, and um, there's a, a bunch of people organizing to go and protest uh, that that um, that speech by George Bush. Um, I think it's on May 11th. Um, but if you go to the uh, ThomasMertonCenter.org website, there'll be more information about. Um, getting organized uh, to go and protest Bush. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're planning to do, but hopefully show up and. So that's for noise. their graduation ceremony in May, sometime. Yeah, May 11th. May 11th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a number of other events coming up, um, conscientious objection events, and, and other things. So go to the Thomas Burton Center website for more information. Well, they'll that. probably have a free speech zone set up down at the point or somewhere. Yeah, 100, yeah t- t- ten miles away. <laughs> ten from, miles away. Right. Um, no yeah. doubt, uh, this being Bush World. But it may uh, may be worthwhile to 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 give it a go. Uh, he lives in a bubble. Any opportunity you can can take to uh, to puncture uh, the bubble, and, puncture and the bubble, <laughs> and make him have some sort of acquaintance with reality is yeah. always would always be useful. It's interesting how the the a lot of the event, a lot of the, the times when, um, for example, Rumsfeld was confronted with the most um, penetrating questions, were not at press press uh, <clears throat> you know events. Mm-hmm. They were at events where you know. Uh, average people confronted by average people, like for example, the troops, right. when they raised the question about the, 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 the they didn't have enough armor, uh, people were complaining. The, the, the troop remember. raised it, and that like, oh, the media went crazy because wow, they asked this question that the media was not willing to ever ask this guy. So this is uh, this is it brings up a very interesting point, which is uh, often point often made by Noam Chomsky, amongst others, is that the tacit understanding of uh, there's no need for censorship in uh, contemporary American society <laughs> right. because there's a tacit understanding amongst the uh, amongst the press corps about what one can ask and what one cannot ask and how one should phrase questions and how uh, what sort of answers to expect. And it's amazing the kabuki dance that goes on. 
with this sort of uh, phony questions and phony answers and completely accepting the the premises, if you will, the unstated premises of the, what's going on without question and certainly not questioning the most absurd answers that you could get. And that, in fact, I recall um, in the uh, early stages of the occupation of Iraq in 2003, shortly after our uh, uh, spectacular primetime program, that the uh, Defense Department put on. Uh, I recall a local uh, uh, right-wing uh, talk show radio host who is uh, no longer has a job uh, uh, on the as his program was canceled a, a year or so ago for I don't know what reason. Um, but was on the air, and the thing that that just absolutely appalled me in connection with Rumsfeld was uh, at that time Rumsfeld was having pretty much daily press conferences, or and uh, and uh, and this particular um, this particular character on uh, right wing uh, talk radio was absolutely beside himself with delight over the way in, in which Rumsfeld evaded and avoided answering uh -huh. any questions. Right, right. He was so impressed with this. He loved this. It was like the best thing ever. He just yeah, and yeah. and I'm and I'm sitting there thinking that so this guy, I mean this guy's attitude is that he wishes to wallow in ignorance because he doesn't want the only possible forum that there is the only opportunity there is to get information directly from the secretary of defense in a moment of an attack and occupation in iraq the only opportunity there exists as shabbily as it's conducted but the only opportunity that exists for asking questions and getting some direct information he considered it to be delightful that it was a complete breakdown and that the press corps right. was completely was, unable to get any information yeah. out of rumsfeld and it's it's astonishing to me that he could be delighted <clears throat> by to to wallow in ignorance. And so you you heard this and started screaming at your radio when this was going uh, on. With... Yeah, I, I had a I had a, an aortic aneurysm as a result of this. Huh. Uh, it was enough to uh, it was enough to drive me around the bend because it's one thing to sort of you know agree or disagree about policies and so on, but to just like delight. In evasion and right. avoidance, as though that's and a good, a good, a good How, thing. Yeah. By uh, in what possible world could it make sense to be depriving the public and yourself, for that matter, in this discussion, uh, of information, of answers to questions by people we elect to act on our behalf? It, it, it's a totally. It's, I can't even fathom this. It's completely amazing to me. Uh, so but uh, that's a good example, anyway. So yeah. going back to your yeah. main point. Well, uh, okay. I mean, we have a lot of topics that bring us. I mean, that that connects to a lot of the other topics that we that we have listed here to talk about. Um, I'm not sure what the what the first one um, we should go into is. I'll, maybe I'll just jump into the uh, Don Imus story that uh, <laughs> you may have heard something about. Uh, like on Friday, I believe he uh, was on the radio. His, 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 he has a national radio program, um, and he apparently made a. He did. May, he did make uh, really nasty uh, racist remarks about the Rutgers. A women's basketball team, and um, he uh, uh, and they were racist and nasty and and ugly and and uh, he got called on it a little shortly after that and and he eventually went. Um, uh, Al Sharpton particularly was the most uh, sort of articulate uh, spokesman, you know, in, in in complaining about this. And there were demonstrations outside of his network. I think he's got he's on a CBS station. He's on a national uh, and it's MSNBC and and so on. Anyway, he. Um, he did apologize, and he went on to Sharpton's show and, and, and acted like, well, this was just a mistake, and he didn't, you know, he's, not, he's a really a good man, but these things just come out of him and stuff. Well, I was an article in FAIR, uh, in the FAIR, uh, FAIR.org, which is the Fairness in 
and Accuracy and Reporting website, one of my favorite uh, organizations. Um, they pointed out, and they, they monitor the media, and they pointed out that he's been doing this for, for years. He's been doing this for at least 10 years. He's, there's a dozen, and they, they go through all of them, a dozen different, you know, racist, you know, misogynistic, you know, sexist, uh, you, know, uh, you know, other racial, ethnic slurs and so on, all, ki- all types uh, that this guy is going, doing all the time. And then he sometimes goes and apologizes and sometimes, you know, gets some trouble for it. But this is part of his persona. For the idea that he's a good man, but this is just a little thing that he accidentally does, that's not true at all. It's his persona that, he, that he's created. He can't not mm. do that, or it just changes his character. And the answer is this kind of guy should not be on, on national media. This, this, in the old days, you wouldn't have these, these jerks on, on the national media, but now they're, 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 they're there. And, and not only is Imus on the national media, but all of the mainstream, all, all of the, a lot of politicians, you know, go journalists on. go on his show and, oh, yeah. you know, and, and in that way, you know, legitimize his, his role as a quote journalist or, or, or part of the news media. So it's, it's just, it's garbage. And, uh, people like him should just be, just be gone. It shouldn't be on the, on the air at all. Well, the, the only reason he's on the air is because he makes money. And he makes money because a significant a number racist, of people uh, want to hear this. Well, it's like the Coulter so, situation, too, mm-hmm. isn't it? The, the I mean, the Coulter. Oh, I mean, uh-huh. they complain about Coulter, but then they invite her to this. Remember that, that big Republican uh, yeah, but powwow her, they had? To be honest, and she but did her it. I consider to be sort of like uh, in the same category as like uh, Pat, uh, what's his name, the, uh, uh, the Republican uh, politician. Um, uh, I'm Ken blanking on his name. Pat. Um, yes, the uh, the well-known right-wing Republican commentator. Uh, in any case, it'll pop into my head in a minute. In any case, I mean, well, Pat, I could, oh, Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan. Yeah. Yes, I, yes. I, I, I couldn't think. Yeah, right, Pat right. Buchanan. I mean, they're sort of buffoons, right? I mean, that's the way I look at it, and it doesn't it doesn't bother. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I, in fact, I don't even. Why bother? I mean, why? Okay, they're buffoons. <clears throat> well, at least at least the, the point the point though I think that that the fair article makes that that isn't being discussed and this mm-hmm. story got a lot of play on the mainstream news um, in the last few days. They're not making this point that he really has done this on a consistent basis. This isn't just a sporadic, you know, uh, you know, a, a random event. Um, right. Well, so uh, now he's on. I got a two week timeout. So uh, yeah, two week timeout. Uh, great. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to uh, give us a call, our phone number is four one two two six eight nine seven two eight, or you can join our chat room at, at uh, left. That's, uh, I, I, I say aim. chat room left out capital L capital O, and uh, you're welcome to join in, and we'll monitor that during the program. So speaking of uh, so the this tacit understandings and the the uh, the nature of Bush world. Uh, a friend of mine recently uh, pointed out a news story to me that uh, I certainly, even though I feel like I'm obsessive about such things, I actually missed this story until last night uh, when my friend was telling me about it. I looked into it, and I wanted to call our listeners' attention to it because it's really quite a shocking thing that has happened um, in Iraq, um, and I wanted to uh, mention it to people. Uh, it uh, seems to be light, very lightly covered if you uh, go to, for example, Google News and look for the article the 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 topic i'm about to describe you will find a couple of articles but there really aren't that many there's a few things from last october and there's something happened on friday which i'll explain so here's the story as i understand it and the uh, parameters are uh they're really rather disturbing um 
And the scale of this, I, I should say, first of all, though, and the scale of the sort of thing that has gone on in the occupation of Iraq and continues to go on as part of the occupation of Iraq, it's all, it's nothing, it's it's it's, a, it's just yet one more thing in right. a long, 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 long litany of such things. So in a way, maybe it's not that surprising that the whole thing has uh, has escaped notice, but I'll, I'll mention it anyway. So some of you may have heard that there is... Um, a U.S. citizen, and I think uh, by the name of Mohammed Munaf, and in my opinion, uh, as we, uh, as the story, as I uh, de- developed the story for you, uh, the fact that he's named Mohammed Munaf is probably uh, relevant to to uh, what's been going on here. So he's a U.S. citizen. So he was born in Iraq. He became a U.S. citizen, I think, around 2000. He's a naturalized U.S. citizen. He'd been living in Romania, so he's kind of an unusual, uh, unusual trajectory. So um, uh, born in Iraq lived in the U.S., became a citizen, was living in Romania. And he was in Iraq uh, acting as a translator and a go-between, you know, facilitator for three uh, Romanian journalists um, in, in, who were reporting on the uh, on the Iraq occupation. And for those of you who haven't been paying attention, Romania is part of the uh, Coalition of the Willing, one of our critical allies. They uh, have soldiers in Iraq. I don't know exactly how many, probably a few more than the Marshall Islands, but they're, they're up there, upstanding allies um, in, the, in, the, in the war, in the invasion. Uh, but in any case, these uh, journalists, Romanian journalists, uh, new, I think newspaper journalists, were, were, uh, <clears throat> were touring around in Iraq and reporting from Iraq, and he was serving as their, um, as their go-between and translator. So that's, it's uh, interesting. I mean, the guy, it's, how many people could you find that could speak Romanian, Arabic, and, 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 and in U.S. English? <laughs> so he's quite an unusual fellow. So in any case, um, he uh, he was the the entire lot of them, the three journalists and this person, uh, Mohammed Minaf, were uh, kidnapped at gunpoint. They're ambushed and kidnapped in 2005, and uh, while they're while they're in Iraq. Now, as I've said earlier, this sort of thing happens every single day. There's nothing unusual about this by itself. What is unusual is what happens a little bit later. I mean, as tragic as it is, I don't mean to make light of it or minimize it, but the truth is, right, this goes on all the time. So what happened is the uh, Iraqi, uh, the Iraqi government, Iraqi military staged a raid in order to free the journalists, and they recaptured these journalists, from what I understand, and they captured this guy Munaf amongst them, and then turned him over to the U.S. Mil- to the U.S. military authorities in Iraq, uh, apparently because he's a U.S. citizen. Who, um, so anyway, that was uh, f- sort of the first thing that happened. <coughs> And then he was held in uh, by the U.S. military. They held him in captivity at Camp Cropper, which is one of the uh, detention centers in Iraq that is operated by the occupation forces, uh, for, and it's especially used for what they call high-value detainees. So Munaf was uh, was uh, held in captivity at Camp Cropper, and um, he was charged with as being um, uh, with collaboration with the kidnappers. So the charge was that he had facilitated i mean the the supposition i guess is that he had conspired with the iraqis for to have the romanians uh, to have the romanians kidnapped so he was held held over in camp cropper by the us military for trial by the romanian authorities so this is the first somewhat odd uh aspect of this uh, of this story so he was um be, being held for the benefit of the iraqi government rather than the Iraqi government, which was prosecuting him, apparently, uh, holding him for that. Now, maybe the reasons for this will come out 
uh, in a moment. So he was held for quite some time. I mean, the original kidnapping was in, I think, May uh, or spring of 2005. Uh, he was finally came to trial on October 13th of 2006. And when it finally came to trial, the judge in the case in Iraqi, in an Iraqi court, was about to dismiss the case, dismiss the charges for complete lack of evidence, okay? There was no evidence of any kind, okay, that he uh, was, uh, could be implicated in this kidnapping. So the um, two U.S. soldiers, including a general, apparently, arrived with Munaf at the court in order to bring him to the court proceedings and discovered at that moment that the judge was uh, right at that moment about to dismiss the charges against him for lack of any evidence. So what seems to have happened, according to how it's reported here, and there's a link to the stories on the um, uh, leftout.info webpage for today's program. You can have a look. Um, the uh, U.S. military, the U.S. Uh, soldiers, um, uh, went uh, immediately requested a private meeting with the judge. So the two U.S. soldiers went into a private meeting with the judge for 15 minutes. They came out, and he immediately sentenced, uh, f- found Munaf guilty and sentenced him to death. With no trial, no presentation of evidence, no opportunity for defense, and moments before had been just about to bang the gavel, figuratively speaking, in order to dismiss the charges against him. So the U.S. military claimed the general in charge, he's not been identified in any of the newspaper or she, for that matter, I have no idea, uh, has not been identified uh, for, uh, in the um, uh, newspaper articles that I've read. I think the, they're, I don't think they've been identified. I don't know their identities anyway. Um, claimed to the judge that they were acting on behalf of the Romanian government and stated that Munaf had confessed to complicity in the kidnapping. Um, uh, and the, uh, that's a, the main basis that I understand it from reading the article. But f- first of all, it's not clear why that in itself, even if even if he were completely guilty, let's just say I'm not, not clear why that, that would warrant a death, a death penalty because as far as I understand it, no one was killed in the in the whole affair. Uh, the second thing is that the Romanian government completely denies that anyone was acting on their behalf and completely denies that they have any uh, – they're not making any, any allegation. In the, in any interest in the case uh, at again, all. They have no interest in the case at all. They're not making any allegation that, for example, this guy was uh, uh, collaborating uh, with you know these militia or whoever they, whoever they were. I don't even know who kidnapped them um, in order to you – know, to, to, and you would think in that kind of circumstance the journalists who were there would know <laughs> and would certainly tell that this guy you know was was uh, cooperating with these uh, with these guys so they they're presenting no charges and they deny that the that these militaries were acting on their behalf in fact they said that no one was acting on their behalf and they they had no interest in the case at all so the case has been appealed uh, to in US federal court on the grounds that uh, well it's a due process argument that there there is no due process of law in this case. And normally, um, U.S. citizens abroad, I mean, it's not, you certainly, you certainly can be charged and convicted of crimes abroad if you commit them. But there is a general understanding that the due process must be observed. And mm-hmm. ordinarily, the U.S. government wouldn't just. Of the foreign court. Yeah, of the foreign court. Be, wouldn't, yes. just, uh, wouldn't just participate right. in your prosecution and insist on you being ra- railroaded without uh, even opportunity to present any, any, any information in your defense without having a proper trial proce- uh, proceedings of any kind. 
So it's a very peculiar thing. So, so on Friday, the U.S. Uh, Federal Appeals Court in Washington uh, uh, de- de- denied an appeal on the grounds of the, that they have no jurisdiction and citing for that uh, a World War II case involving uh, General Douglas MacArthur and some Japanese citizens in Japan who had been detained in the immediately post-war uh, period. But they're, they're finding also mentioned uh uh they mentioned in in the 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 gist of the decision is that well while they had no they had no jurisdiction in the case they found the logic of it to completely to be completely bizarre and were basically the 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 reading is that they were begging for uh this to be uh reviewed by the supreme court so they are appealing this to the supreme court but this uh this fellow Mohammed bin Af is being held uh is now under death penalty in Iraq yeah apparently as i understand it and according to his appeal, without any anything resembling due process, and having been railroaded, it seems, um, by U.S. military authorities in Iraq for reasons unknown, right? That are completely unclear. I found unclear. A, a little article about it. In, um, apparently, the Brennan Center is getting involved. You know, the Brennan Center. It's an, I think it's New York University Center for. It's been helping out in these cases, these habeas corpus and other <coughs> other detention cases. Um, and uh, they just confirmed. I mean, it's just a small article that says what basically what you just said. But mm-hmm. um, apparently, it's, it's going to go. Apparently, it looks like it's going to go to the Supreme Court. According to them, it says at the same time the Court of Appeals made clear that the pressing issues raised by the case must ultimately be reviewed and resolved by the Supreme Court. So according to that, it's going to go. It's going to it's go, to, go to, the to the Supreme Court. Now, whether the Bush pack Supreme Court will even consider it, but yeah. uh, when when asked, the uh, the uh, Bush administration uh, insists that this is the uh, this is an Iraqi matter and it's got nothing to do with them, and they, uh, you know, the fact that the guy's being put to death uh, for this uh, alleged crime uh, is uh, is you know none of their business. And so, to me, I mean, it's pretty obvious that something more is going on here. It doesn't make any sense here. because first, okay. the Iraqi court is was apparently under the thumb of the U.S. military. Of course, because so, they they walked in and uh, just told him what to do, obviously, right. and then he just complied with it and immediately found him guilty and sentenced him to death. So. And also the conditions under which he supposedly confesses, he says in his statement that uh, it was a coerced confession and he's being held at Camp Cropper where coerced confessions are uh, what they do uh, right. for a living there. And so it uh, would be hardly surprising. He claims that his uh, wife and children who are in Romania were threatened. Uh, they threatened his wife and children and uh, under under duress that he uh, he claim, he uh, you know confessed to. Uh, to their um, to uh, their allegations, so um, I don't know. I just thought I would point it out to our left out listeners because it seems like uh, it's it's one of many 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 examples of what uh, life is in Bush world. Because you have to remember that although the the man is named Mohammed Manav, he is a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. and the and and so what is happening is the Bush administration is quite content to do away with due process. All the standards of justice are completely dispensable, um, just on the say so of the U.S. government. I mean that seems to be what is happening here. And what the reasons for this are, I don't know. But the, the the thing that always comes up is, well, and that I would always say is, if he's so guilty and if he's such a terrible person, why can't we have a trial, prove it, and then he'll be sentenced as he as appropriate? I mean, no one no one would argue with that. 
um, and uh, but uh, except the uh, Bush administration, which uh, doesn't uh, doesn't want to have like fair and open processes for prosecuting criminals. So if he's a criminal, let him be prosecuted. Absolutely. Right. Um, but if he's not, uh, let him free. And why are his uh, why are his uh, uh, why are his rights being denied summarily? Um, with this uh, fig leaf of it being yeah. an Iraqi prosecution. Changing the subject slightly. Yeah, go ahead, please. What, what do you think about the um, statement by um, Carl Levin? Uh, which Did you one? hear about the statement he made, I think, um, yesterday or some, over the weekend? Fill uh, us in. He said that um, basically that after Bush vetoes the Iraq spending bill, that they passed and had all these conditions on it about, you know, well, they're very, very weak conditions, actually, when you look at it. Um, that, well, they'll come back and the Congress will, you know, will will change it and do something else. We're, we're going to support the troops. Is that right? Is that yeah. what Yeah, he basically, he basically said that, well, it's just come back and we'll, we'll change it and we'll, we'll do something different. So, in other words, all of this is a charade. I mean. that, that's what he sort of admitted. I, I, thought I, was, I was shocked because mm-hmm. I thought that the Democrats were actually going to. And I thought they should hold their ground. I mean, they just won the election based on, based on this this war, and uh, they, if they stood their ground, I don't think this support the troops. Are they going to fall for that argument? It, it seems. It seems to me. Uh, I think I, I I may have mentioned this before previously. I'm left out, but if we, we'll, I'll put a link uh, to appropriate uh, summary on the webpage when I get a chance. Uh, if you look in detail at the bill that has been passed through the House and the Senate, it is completely riddled with uh, with uh, provisions by which the president said there's uh, some sort of, you know, uh, supposedly pullout date, but there's a bunch of weasel words and provisions in there, right. loop- loopholes that are built into it. So one of the weasel words is um, they, the, uh, the pullback date, I think, of March 2008 or possibly September 2008, I've forgotten which they settled on. On it went back and forth. Um, is for uh, combat troops. They say, well, we're going to remove combat troops from Iraq by that date. Well, it turns out the phrase combat troops is a term of art. And um, so combat troops has a very specific meaning, and the result, uh, the result of which is that accounts for a little bit less than half the number of troops are actually in Iraq. So the most we're talking about on the, and I'm going to say a bit more about this in a second, but the most we're talking about is, you know, the so-called combat troops, the ones that are qualified. But now let's see what it doesn't count. So it's less than half the troops that we actually have there. So I think, what do we have there now? About 130,000? I thought more, but or, how many how many troops do we currently have? I, I, uh, I thought it was one forty. Then he the okay, surge one forty, but so, in that in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many uh, private militia? That it's we, over a hundred thousand. Over a hundred thousand. Right? Okay, yeah. so it's one hundred twenty thousand. The last I saw in a Reuters uh, article a couple of days ago, so one hundred twenty. So <laughs> it becomes a joke, right? That we have one hundred twenty thousand uh, uh, mercenaries from you know Blackwater and similar right. companies right. who are operating over there um, as really de facto part of the U.S. military, except that they're paid vastly more. Um, and then the um, and then you were talking about maybe withdrawing half the number of troops. That's the most that the provision is in there. That's the first thing. Second thing is uh, it's inconceivable to me that you could remove all of the combat troops and leave behind all of the support troops because, of course, they would then be completely vulnerable to any kind of attack. And so that's a complete impossibility. And there's provisions in this bill that we're making this big deal about in the press as if there's some big fight going on here. But the provisions in the bill all all say, and I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but I, I have seen it. Um, you can look it up, of course, on the Congress website. There are provisions in the bill that basically say, well, none of this applies if the president says it doesn't. 
Okay, the president can just decide that uh, as a matter of national emergency. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, I can't see any reason why he won't sign it. I mean, there's, there's, I don't see any reason because because there are two aspects of that. One is the bill is so utterly toothless; it doesn't mean anything anyway. Yeah. It gives him the money. It funds, uh, provides funding actually through 2009. Even though it makes all of this word wording about supposedly we're pulling out combat troops in 2008. Uh, so it gives him all, all the funding that he wants. In fact, it funds for quite a long time past the supposed right. pullout date. Moreover, so, Bush, you know, Bush uh, would just, you know, put, produce one of his signing statements saying the exact opposite of everything that's in the bill. Okay, but, but I don't, what I don't understand. So why shouldn't he just sign it? I mean, what's well, this but, but, going, why, what's so going okay, on with this? So why did Levin, why did Levin uh, backtrack when, if Bush did sign it? Uh, it's not clear to me. If, okay. was, if Bush was going so to sign it, he, there seems to be a bit of a charade going on. Well, first of all, uh, my opinion is I don't see why Bush doesn't sign it. But if, let's say Bush uh, vetoes it because, look, he disregards the law flagrantly and freely anyway. He has those ridiculous uh, signing statements in which he negates the contents of any bill that he signs and just decides he's going to interpret it however he wishes to interpret it because right. he is, after all, the decider. And so what happens is uh, – so that's one reason. The other reason is that you know the bill is so toothless – that who cares? You know, he doesn't have to. A, he's not going to abide by it, even if it had teeth. And B, it doesn't matter. He, all he has to do is just declare that. Well, the circumstances are such that he uh, has to override these provisions, and and then and then he will. So why veto it? I'm not sure why he would veto it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he may well veto it, you know, and then they'll carry on with the charade. And then if what you're telling me is that Levin has already announced that they plan to back down completely yeah, on the provisions and say, oh, well, never mind. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, we uh, <laughs> sort of miscalculated there. Pardon us. Uh, we didn't mean to uh, get your hackles up. Uh, please, sir, we'll send you another bill shortly. I mean, is that what's going on here? So the thing that I've been extremely concerned about is that uh, the Democrats really aren't going to. There's a bunch of noise being made, but uh, the reality seems to be there's not really any significant support or effort to uh, get us the heck out of Iraq and to put an end to this illegal o- occupation, to this fraudulent operation that we've been running in Iraq. But the thing there is, seems to be no will and no intention right. to do this. One of the arguments that was discussed by, um, by somebody, Richard Wolf, he said, oh, well, you know, if the Democrats do this, they're going to... Mm have their name on this war. If the Democrats start taking control and guiding things in some way, then their, quote, name is on this war. I think that's so bogus. It's just like the, um, the support the troops argument. I mean, Bush has had four years of totally unfettered time to do whatever he wanted. This is his war. Mm-hmm. How, can now, how can it now become not his, the Democrats' fault after, it's after he and, and the, his, the Congress, you know, just... The Republican Congress just did everything just that he wanted. Well, so. uh, you know, the, uh, the, the right-wing noise machine uh, yeah. is capable of accomplishing wonders, I can tell you There was you a that. great article by, by Paul Krugman a few days ago. Um, it was about uh, the little lies, the way mm-hmm. they just keep hammering away. I don't know if you saw that one. I did. They just keep hammering away at, these, at, at, at anybody that, that, that they want to raise a question about, Pelosi with her... Her, oh, this this big airplane that she got to California that that was such an egregious violation. This, every, just it just oh, oh how the visit to her, that she meant to Syria was so terrible and so so inappropriate what she did. It's just all these things which oh both are completely bo- completely false bogus arguments. Positions are you know totally reasonable what she did in every case. But you saw but they that keep it came hammering out it away and it keeps humming up in the mainstream media and keeps eroding somebody's you know esteem. 
but it came out yesterday or early today that uh, that Pelosi had actually met with Bush to discuss her intention to go to Syria before she left, and he expressed no disapproval at all of what of what she was doing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So the, you know, the whole right wing noise machine, it just goes on and on. And, you know, various people like the. Uh, oh, the oh yeah, she wore a burqa. Apparently some to. people were so outraged she wore a burqa. Yeah, that's a well, bit, turns out that similar Laura, to Barack Laura Obama Bush. having gone to a madrasa, better known as a parochial school. Yeah, right. <laughs> Laura Bush had worn a burqa when they were in the Middle East somewhere. Yeah, okay. I mean it's just it's uh, nonsensical. It, it, I mean it's, it's, it's absolutely it's, it's, nonsensical. Exactly. I mean it's absolutely nonsensical. Well, that's quite true. Uh, you're welcome to call us. You're listening to Left Out and WRCT at 88.3 FM. You're welcome to give us a ring, uh, 412-268-9728 if you want to participate in the discussion. You can also monitor, uh, join up the AOL um, instant messaging chat room uh, that we have set up. Left Out, um, just join that room. And uh, is your mail working today? And, and uh, I do have mail today. If I if I uh, uh, one can also send mail to Bob at leftout.info, and I'll I'll keep an eye on that. So in all these ways, yeah, one way or the other, should be able to get a get a hold of us. So um, good. So another thing that I, a, t- a thing that I wanted to discuss today, leaving that aside, I have two topics on the Left Out webpage. Uh, one was Bush World One undue process. Uh, the other is Bush World Two, which I call uh, screw the middle class which is a, 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 a story that really had me chapped, I must say, last week uh, when I first heard about it. It doesn't affect me directly, but uh, it affects us all rather directly. And it's, uh, it's again, the, uh, what, the, what the Republicans are really all about. So what the Republicans are really all about is uh, low. They're, they're all for low wages. I mean, they're actually attacking wages of the working person, the average person, minimizing wages in order to bleed, bleed off resources as quickly as possible in the short run. A lot of their policies seem remarkably short-sighted. They seem to be a short-term grab, grab and grab and run. Um, maybe it goes with the extractive mentality of oil men. It could possibly be the case uh, because we could even look at the whole occupation of Iraq in this form. Because the only thing that seems to explain their behavior is uh, the whole that the whole goal is to control the Iraqi oil and to sell it off to American companies. And whether in the long run this is a good policy or not as irrelevant because they want to grab the money. So here, uh, the story that came up, uh, it's gotten some play. It was a um, front-page article uh, about it in the uh, New York Times, as I, if, as I recall. So it's not at all a, a small story. It's been uh, gotten quite a bit of play, which are the layoffs at Circuit City. So if you happen to have not heard about this, what happened is um, – about a week ago, Circuit City laid off a few thousand workers. I think it was about 3,500, something of that order, workers uh, who were at the top of their pay scale, uh, which is a whopping about 10 or $11 per hour. Um, so they had been there, uh, you know, for a number of years, maybe as much as 10 years. And they laid all of them off uh, for no reason other than the fact that they were at the top of the pay scale and they were invited to reapply so that they can go back and, uh, st- you know, go back to their starting wage or something slightly above the, mm-hmm. the starting wage. Now, this is really, uh, I, I, I must say, this uh, I found absolutely appalling. Now, there are many angles on this story. So the first one I can say is, 
I am highly confident that Circuit City is uh, in the process of going out of business because they're in the service business. And if they treat their employees this way, the service that they're going to get, that they're going to be giving to their customers yeah. is not going to be worth having. And I, well, they're closing I one, a lot of stores. Too. I, for they're one, closed. am not going to go to Circuit City. They closed um, a store out in Monroeville. Already. I mean, that, that's one of the ones. Oh, is that they're, right? They're closing half of their stores. I didn't know that. So, you know, the fact is that it's, uh, it's uh, you know, the twitches of a dying company. But, uh, but okay, so that's like one perspective, and you can take a somewhat philosophical perspective on this. But the real, you know, the real story here is that um, is that the the destruction of of any kind of you know decent wages uh, for dedicated long range. These are employees who've been employees for ten years approximately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not like new employees. They're people who this is their livelihood. This is what they do. It's a complete breakdown in what I would call the American the system of the American middle class. And this all goes along with the, for example, vacating uh, pension obligations um, with uh, large companies that people were depending on, cutting back on benefits cutting back on health care, um, you know, cutting back on wages, clearly, all of these things that are are not, they are not benefiting the society as a whole. They're not benefiting the middle class. They're not benefiting people who work for a living. In fact, it get, life gets right. worse and worse and worse. You know, a deal, so to speak, was made decades ago that these things would be done through through uh, through people's jobs, you know, for example, health care benefits, retirement yeah, benefits. Right. And they're reneging on these contracts. I mean, you're right. having big companies that, you know, made contracts on the basis of, uh, for, you know, providing part of the recompensation for their employees was these, uh, for example, retirement benefits, and they're reneging on it. And, and here is now it gets to the point where they're just happily going to fire people. I mean, it's clear that in Bush world, you know, Bush world wants – uh, to turn every city into Potterville is a, is a reference to uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, where mm-hmm. Mr. Potter, uh, if he gets his way, as we see in the alternate world that was shown to uh, George Bailey by uh, the, his guardian Jimmy angel. Jimmy Stewart, right? Of what actually would have happened uh, if we hadn't fought against it, and uh, and really Bush is really turning this into uh, turning us all into uh, one big Potterville. Uh, and one thing that is is closely related to this, and this is something that goes back at least in in my memory to the beginning of the began with the Reagan administration, was duping the average Americans into thinking that labor unions are evil and outmoded. Now, like any organization, I mean, uh, of any kind, you know, any any kind of organization is going to have its uh, have its uh, large organization going to have its problems, but you know, people have bought into the nonsense, right? Just like the same nonsense right. from Reagan that government is the problem is utter nonsense. You know, government is services is what it is. And if you think government is a problem, then uh, I have a few uh, few things to say to you. One of which is to look at what happened in New Orleans. Um, another is to uh, is to say, well, well, we'll come back to that. And, and the other thing is the, the attacks on labor unions and the somehow evils right. well, of labor it, unions. So here, I mean, Circuit City employees aren't organized and uh, the these kinds of things really wouldn't be possible in a collective bargaining situation. And for those kinds of jobs, would greatly people would greatly benefit from collective bargaining. Yeah, that, that's been discussed by um, by Bernie Sanders. I, I've heard him. Oh, talk is that about right? Uh, specifically in connection with Circuit City. No, or not more Circuit generally? City. No, just just yeah. the, the, the labor union. The fact that people don't know about the whole <laughs> what unions do for you. The fact mm-hmm. that the union jobs pay on average for the same work. You know, 
fifty percent more or some some large you know large amount more than 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 right. not having a union. People just don't understand all of that. And this also relates to what we talked about with Dean Baker a couple of weeks ago. Um, we had him on as our one of our guests. Uh, he wrote a, the, the Conservative Nanny State, the book. I'm mm-hmm, right. um, talking about the fact that. That they're so eager and 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 just just dying to to make sure that the the workers the you know the average guy uh, gets screwed. Um, and the, you must have competition. You must have free trade. You must have you know must not have unions. But when it comes to the high level positions, when it comes to the lawyers and the doctors, mm-hmm. oh no 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 we can't have the Mexicans right, exactly. uh, teaching the Mexicans the standard <laughs> right. you know American law so they can yeah. come over and be our lawyers yeah. and you, even though they you know they'd be perfectly capable of doing it no no right. no 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 you can't have the, you can't have uh, you know unfettered access to these to these high high paying jobs so um, it's all just it's a big scam. And so here again, you know, the working person, uh, you know, somebody is putting in 40 hours a week, working hard, not getting paid all that much, and they're getting a kick in the butt and the behind for it. I mean, it's a, it's really quite despicable. And I don't think for Circuit City itself, I think this doesn't, this is not going to do them any good one bit. Um, but more generally, I mean, it's a, I think it's just a harbinger of things to come. Did you hear about the latest Walmart scam where they, um, there's a lot of spying going on. They, oh, they infiltrated, the they yes. infiltrated groups they of workers, well and all, all, yeah, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. I mean, and, really, part, and part of it is to undermine uh, labor unions. So in Canada, really seemy, in Canada, one of their stores in Canada was organized, and they closed the store. Uh-huh. And, re- and retaliation, yeah, that was their uh, that was their approach. But I wanted to mention that the Democrats are introducing a bill called the Employee Free Choice Act, and I have a link to that um, on the uh, Left Out the Info webpage. You might want to take a look at it. It's a bill that's uh, there's a Senate and a House version of the bill. Uh, it's been it was voted for by, uh, for example, Jason Altmaier and uh, Doyle, Congressman Doyle here in Pittsburgh in this region, uh, and also by Bob Casey. Needless to say, it was not voted for by uh, Arlen Specter, the Republican. Um, and uh, it's uh, this is uh, in in process at the moment, and I encourage you to take a look at it. And all it does is it allows um, uh, employees to form a labor union by simply filing a card saying that they wish to be represented by a labor union. Uh, and they're Republicans, of course. You know, the earth will stop spinning on its axis if we pass this. Uh, yeah. If we pass this bill, uh, because uh, they might actually have to pay slightly more uh, per hour to the lowest salaried yeah. employees so, in the whole company. Meanwhile, the CEOs, as we know, are raking in you know two hundred million. I don't know. I don't have the figures for Circuit City itself, but in other companies, uh, I can probably look those up. You know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars for failed companies. Yeah. So you know, it's appalling. Right. What ha- the, 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 what that that bill is one of the things it's supposed to deal with is that right now the companies can stop unions from forming mm. and they can and they mm. and, and it's some of them are against some of the things that they've done are it's against the rules for them to do that right against the federal trade commission rules for them to to do these things but it turns out that the penalties that they pay are a total joke i mean they they the worst is that they have to pay back pay to somebody that they lay off uh, inappropriately, after this person has gone through all, all kinds of all kinds of stuff, process, uh, all yeah. kinds of processes, which is very very difficult to do anyway. I mean, it's it's peanuts compared to what they're what they should be paying for for uh, well. Well, it's not, th- this is life in Bush world and, the, um, and amongst low-wage Republicans. So uh, I have urged our listeners to take a look at the Employee Free Choice Act. I have a link to it uh, on the left out webpage. Uh, you may wish to con- 
contact your congressperson or a senator to urge them to uh, pass this uh, common sense bill, which I think would be uh, an increment, a small increment, but it would certainly uh, be in the right direction compared to the way we've been going uh, under, uh, under the Republican Taliban. So your listeners so, are welcome to call us at 412-268-9728 or monitor our chat room at Left Out on AIM or send the electronic mail to bob at leftout.info if you uh, wish to discuss any of the topics uh, that we've been uh, discussing so far in today's show. So there's a little item here um, about a book um, that just came out. I mm-hmm. haven't seen the book yet myself, but it's called The Occupation of, Ira- the Occupation of Iraq by Ali Alawi who uh, is a guy that was in um, the, the, the newly formed government of Iraq after, after the U.S. invasion. Um, he was in the trade, defense, and finance ministries at various times since 2003. And he's written a book uh, about, about uh, his observations about what happened. Uh, and there are a few little quotes here from the book. Uh, I'll just read them quickly here. Um, the corroded and corrupt state of Saddam was replaced by the corroded, inefficient, incompetent, and corrupt state of the new, of the new order. Um, first came the monumental ignorance of those in Washington pushing for war in 2002 without the faintest idea of Iraq's realities. More perceptive people knew instinctively that the invasion of Iraq would open up great fissures in Iraqi society. What followed was the rank amateurism and swaggering arrogance of the occupation under L. Paul Bremer's coalition provisional authority, which took big steps with little consultation with the Iraqis, steps that um, that Alawi see and many others see as, as blunders. So um, anyway, that, that'll be an interesting book to look at, although, I mean, it's kind of, you know, we knew this. We've been talking about this, the, the, the you know, the stupidity of, of, of the way they did things um, um, quite a bit on this show. And so anybody who's been following this uh, knows how, how, how terrible it was. But this is from an Iraqi who was inside the system watching it, you know, fall apart. Well, it's an interest. I'll have to have a look. I haven't had, uh, I haven't uh, seen it yet. I wonder if he's related to Iyad Alawi, uh, or is maybe perhaps Alawi is a common Arabic name. I have no idea. Uh, but wait, he uh, might. Just a second. Curious. He might be. Um, let me look at that web link here. Uh-huh. He might be his brother or something. I see. Okay. Um, let's see. It says. Um, it's was it, no, it doesn't say that he's related to him. So no, I'm just curious. He could be. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, so I noticed you have a link to an article, Danny, uh, called Iraq: Why the Media Failed. And this is a, a story that I think uh, uh, merits uh, merits some uh, some discussion. Yeah. And analysis. Right. So um, this is an article that appeared in Salon.com just uh, I think today. It was posted by a guy named uh, Gary Kamaya. Um, I'll, I'll read the first few sentences of it. It says. It's no secret that the period of time between 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq represents one of the greatest collapses in the history of American media. Every branch of the media failed, from daily newspapers, magazines, and websites, to television networks, cable channels, and radio. I'm not going to go into chapter and verse about the media's specific failures, its credulousness about aluminum tubes and mushroom clouds, and failure to make clear that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. They're too well known to repeat. In any case, the real failure was not in any one arena. It was across the board. The Bush administration lies and distortions went unchallenged or were actively promoted. Fundamental and problematic assumptions about 
terrorism and the war on terror were rarely debated or even discussed. Um, one more sentence. Uh, vital historical context uh, was almost never provided. So anyway, the article goes on and talks about the, the, this stuff, although, it, as, as it says here, it doesn't actually give a lot of examples. But it tries to analyze... Um, and we, we're all familiar with, I mean, Bob and I are familiar with, with these things, and we've talked about them a lot on, on the show. Um, but in uh, just a couple of comments about it, uh, that um, one of them is that uh, when this was all going on, I wrote a letter, I wrote like a spam letter to thousands of people telling people that they weren't getting the story, and I was, I was so upset about that, that this was going on and this sort of steamrolling toward a war that seemed to did not make any sense. And everybody seemed to be on board with this thing, which I couldn't understand. Um, and the other comment is, uh, according to uh, Glenn Greenwald, another blogger that I read very frequently, is that the um, uh, his point is that well, he's not so sure that everybody agrees with the the paragraph I just read, that it was such an abject failure across the board. When you say everybody, you mean everybody in the press. Everybody corps. in the press corps, yeah. So I think everybody in real life agrees with this. That may not even be true. I'm not sure. That's just my opinion. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting. It's a very interesting article because uh, you do. It is uh, worthwhile to reflect on uh, just you know what happened there and people like us and extremely marginal uh, media outlets and also privately and our own activities like your letter to the editor, for example. There certainly were plenty of people, uh, but no one of any you know of any great influence on the national stage who were, for whom it was uh, perfectly obvious what was going on here. It was perfectly obvious that this was a fraud. It was perfectly obvious that uh, that, that this was a mistake, uh, regardless of whether you thought it was a fraud. I thought it's both a fraud and a mistake. Yeah. And, and it's uh, and, and of course, you know, none of this was even slightly reported. In fact, it was considered, you know, ridiculous and beneath contempt to even ask, you know, any questions. Going back earlier to uh, our right-wing radio host, you know, who uh, that, that example I cited was just one of many, uh, which expressing his uh, ab- absolute delight at going along with absolutely everything that was being done and said, regardless of how ludicrous, regardless of how like blatantly false, regardless of how utterly incompetent. You know, this was all delightful. I mean, these people were, you know, delighting in, for example, all the looting that was going on. And that looting, you know, there's a recent um, Inspector General report about the uh, you know, the IEDs, the attacks right. that are being perpetrated in American soldiers. Fully more than 50% or more of those are being conducted with weapons uh, that were obtained from caches yeah. that were absolutely unguarded after our glorious invasion and uh, of, of Iraq and our glorious deposition of... Of, uh, of Saddam Hussein. And so, you know, this is all part of the looting. This is all part of the utter incompetence. And anyone could see this at the time. It was perfectly obvious. In fact, I even re- recall uh, against uh, the Geneva Conventions, against military, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, there was uh, uh, Donald Rumsfeld in, in in Iraq happily signing a looted street sign, uh, looted as in stolen, <laughs> from a U.S. soldier, had stolen a street sign, torn it down, and he was signing it. He was autographing it. Oh, really? With, gr- huh. with glee, yes, in 2003, after our glorious victory, which has turned out to take a, to be an, an unexpectedly extended triumph yeah. uh, in, in, in Iraq, uh, was, 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 glor- was encouraging this behavior. You know? Yeah, I want to read one little tiny yeah, thing. Yeah, please do, yes. It's on the... Uh, 
Well, I, I have a, link, a quote from Amy Goodman on the PCDN.org website. The PCDN is the Pittsburgh Campaign for Democracy Now! is an organization I'm involved with. That that uh, sponsors Democracy Now! Right, in the morning. Right, right. So. Mm-hmm. so I have a little quote from Amy Goodman on there. i just read a, a couple sentences. It says, uh, uh, talks about the coverage of the, in the build-up to the war. Um, so you had this mainstream America against the invasion. And you had, I won't call it a mainstream press, I'll call it an extreme press. You had this extreme press, instead of beating the drums for war, uh, instead beating the drums for war. The four ma- And then there's a little statistics here. The four major nightly newscasts, in those newscasts, out of 393 interviews they did in the week leading up to and the week after Colin Powell's address to the UN, of the 393 interviews, three were anti-war representatives. In other yep. words, people like, you know, Juan Cole. Uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 there were a lot of people out there who were really upset just about Just an example war. of someone who is uh, uh, well-educated, knowledgeable about the situation, right. and completely marginalized because uh, he wasn't uh, just uh, sucking up to the decider and, uh, right. and, and beating the war drums along with the other uh, I- idiots on uh, faux news and other So they had, you know, and this, this is like 1%. Literally one percent of the guests that they had, out of what fifty percent of the, uh, um, yeah, what what happened? We're done? No, no, my <laughs> machine is. Oh, done. your machine? Okay, I see. Yeah, about mine's about to die too. But about you know about fifty percent of the country was really really questioning the war, or some large percentage, and then they had yet only one percent of these uh, of these um, interviews were um, were with people who had that point of view. So it was really it was really an outrageous, um, bizarre. You know, rolling over. And there's book, there's other books about that, and so on. Anyway, there's just a couple minutes left in the program. Um, I guess it's too late for us to uh, to take any more calls for you uh, uh, from people. Um, anything else that? Uh, well, the, well, comes the thing to mind? That I was about to say is about the failures of journalism. I mean, the thing that is. Uh, that I, kn- I know to be true, let us say, or that I, in my opinion, is the case, is that nothing will happen. You know, no one, you've mentioned this before, I mean, no one, uh, you know, there, no, no, nothing will change, right? There won't be any change to this. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's yeah, true, you know, we should have done a better job. Oh, well, uh, you know, but, you know, about Iran, you know, <laughs> yeah. they'll immediately buy right, right into this nonsense about, for example, the, uh, Iran being the source of the weapons that are used against the soldiers when, in fact, more than 50 percent, according to the Pentagon's Inspector General report itself, are those that were just looted and were there or mm-hmm. were left. Yeah. around by the incompetence of the Pentagon uh, people uh, starting at the top for uh, Donald Rumsfeld yeah. on down um, and but the the uh, the the corporate the it's really important to say this the corporate news media are are just on board with all of this I mean they're just they they are they are and they always will be mm-hmm. on board with the program they always will be supporting yeah. uh, these interests because that's where the money interests are and they're part of the money machine. I just heard some bad news at, um, about Sam Cedar. He has a radio show on Air America. Uh-huh. He's on for like three hours a day, five days a week. Yeah, I've heard a show. He's, he's really good, uh, I think. Um, and apparently his show is being canceled or re- he'll be on only one day a week now or something. Is that right? So he's really being on being Air America. Compl- uh-huh. completely, uh, so what are they doing instead? Are they putting I, on They're going to uh, put somebody else on, Rush I guess. Or, or? I, I don't know what they're going to do because I don't know who they're going to get who's really – Going to be better. Well, than my him. favorite is Rachel Maddow. I, I think she's the cleverest of the lot. And, yeah, uh, she's very good too. But yeah. 
she's different from Sam Cedar. I mean, I, I, oh, and, yeah. and she's only got a two-hour show, and she doesn't take any calls, and so no, I mean, no, it's, a different, yeah, it's a different, it's a different style of thing. Different style, yeah. yeah. But uh, I find her, she's quite insightful. She is. Very, she has and, lots of good observations. And very funny. Yeah. Yes, very, very So funny. we really need to get an Air America station so. here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That'd be good. That's Well, there's the 1360 PDT carries um, Tom Hartman during the day, yeah. which is uh, reasonable. That's a yeah. middle-of-the-road kind of program. At noon, I think. At, at noon. That's at right. Noon, noon yeah. to three, possibly, something like that. Okay. Well, that completes Left Out for this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you to producer Hank for producing today's program, and we'll return in two weeks' time.